Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from the Farnham U3A World History Group. The views expressed in this talk are representative of the views held at the time of the material being discussed. They do not necessarily represent the views of the speaker, the Farnham U3A World History Group, nor the team at the Mr. T Podcast Studio. In this talk, Margaret Denyer takes us back to the days of luxury train travel and tells us about the history of the Orient Express. If you wish to see the photographs taken by Margaret during a trip she made on the Orient Express, please go to www.themrt.studio and click on Talking History. My talk is going to concentrate more on the glamour, the stories and things. I'm not a technical person, so my interest is different. Strictly speaking, the Orient Express is a particular line, but it's come to have a broader context and that's how I will base it. So, it has a fascinating history, and first we need to go back to the man who goes by the, I thought, rather fabulous name of Georges Nacklemackers. Now, he was a Belgian banker's son who went on a visit to the USA. And while he was there, he was very much taken with the luxurious carriages he saw. A few years earlier, Pullman built the Pioneer, which was the first railway carriage designed with true comfort for the passenger. That hadn't been a major consideration before. His carriages had seats that could be changed into bunks for overnight travel, and passengers paid a supplement to travel in these carriages. There wasn't a whole train full of them. They were just attached to other trains. At that time in Europe, the railway systems of different countries didn't join up partly to reduce risk of invasions from other countries. But Nagelmacher, whose father was already involved in the development of the Belgian railway, envisaged a system where it would be possible to travel right across Europe in luxury. He ordered the first five sleeping cars ever to be built in Europe and started to make agreements with various countries to allow his carriages to be attached to their trains. He carried on purchasing additional and improved carriages and he altered a carriage to form a dining room where passengers could eat food either that they brought with them or that they purchased at stations. He later went on to go into partnership with Colonel Mann, an American, who had tried and failed to compete with Pullman in the USA. Mann brought his version of the Pullman carriages, called boudoir sleeping coaches, over from America. It was a short-lived partnership, and Nagelmacher later bought out Mann and acquired 53 of the boudoir coaches. He formed the Company Internationale de Wagon-Lee with King Leopold II of Belgium heading the list of patrons. This company owned the carriages and employed the staff, but didn't own the engines. 
King Leopold loved trains and as a result of his patronage could travel easily to his many relations among the crowned heads of Europe. Many of his train journeys he was accompanied by pretty female guests, but that's another story. By 1882, Nagelmacher had arranged for a train to, across mainland Europe with only these wagon lead coaches, so there were sleeping, luggage and a restaurant coach with a kitchen now, so they actually started doing food, and it was ready to leave Paris for Vienna with specially invited passengers on his train Eclair de Luxe. It was described as follows. Its carriages had embossed leather ceilings, velvet curtains, silk sheets, mahogany furniture, silver cutlery, crystal glassware, marble fixtures and bronze taps. The train was lit by lamps from M.A. Gallet and tapestries woven by Gobelin. The first menu on board offered oysters, turbot, beef, game and many desserts. Sounds good. Next, he became involved in negotiations for a route from Paris to Constantinople, which he named Express Orient. None of them ever got to the Orient, but it was a stepping-off point. So the first run started in 1883 from Paris to Vienna, with an official inauguration on later the same year. This took the passengers as far as Gyorki on the Danube. After that, there was a ferry, a further much less comfortable train journey, and sea voyage, but later, by 89, the route was established for the whole way. Now, before we go any further, we should cross the Channel to England and see what was happening there. Pullman's carriages had also attracted attention, and he was invited to England by James Allport, who was general manager of the Midland Railway. The shareholders agreed that Pullman could build coaches in Illinois to run on the Midland lines for a supplement. Sleeping cars were later added, and the first meals on an English train were served. Late in 1881, the Pullman Limited Express became the first Pullman-only train. It travelled from London to Brighton, and actually this was a year earlier than Nagelmacher's train. It was also the first train to be lit by electricity. Eventually, it would become the Brighton Bell and the Pullman Palace Car Company, which is a bit of a mouthful, was registered in the next year. The company was then bought by DL, and he also bought the right to use the name Pullman. There was much interest in a route taking such trains across the Channel and onwards. Five daily boat trains in each direction were in operation by 1913. Other routes were introduced and all was going well on both sides of the channel. Immediately all civilian travel across the channel ceased and in the continent the Wagon Lee Company were greatly affected having rolling stock trapped in Germany and they now ran this with the German company Metropa and also the offices had to be moved from Brussels to Paris because Brussels was occupied, and all services in France, Austria, Serbia and Turkey were halted. 
At the end of the war, one of the carriages was famously used for the signing of the armistice. It was later put in a museum. The Russian Revolution led to a loss of 161 carriages trapped within Russia, and all the staff had to be removed quickly, and there was never any compensation for this. At the Treaty of Versailles, routes were laid down for rail transport, avoiding Germany and Austria. They ordered a route using the Simplon Tunnel through the Alps. It went through Italy, newly created Yugoslavia, onto Constantinople, so it's a much further south route, known as the Simplon Orient Express, and it started running in 1919. During the 20s and 30s, the most luxurious carriages were built, and this was the heyday of luxury train travel on both sides of the channel. Other than Diel, the other founders, of course, didn't live to see this. The carriages were now built of steel, and dining and sleeping cabins were finished with beautiful wood and marquetry by top designers and craftsmen, and some of the carriages had panels made by Lalique. The fabrics, lamps and carpets were sumptuous, with fine glass and tableware in the dining carriages, in which elegantly attired guests ate equally fine fare. A corridor ran along the length of each carriage, with a seat for the guard at one end, and lavatories with elaborate mosaic floors at the other. The British Pullman carriages in brown and cream were all given names and documentation exists showing on which lines they were used. The Continental carriages were painted dark blue and they were given numbers, but not so much documentation survived. DL became one of the directors of the Wagon Lee Company and indeed his daughter married Nagelmacher's son. By 1926, he had a controlling interest in Wagonlee, thus bringing the services on both sides of the channel closer. In the 1920s, a route started passing through Germany again. It was under the name Alberg Orient Express since the true Orient Express was still theoretically forbidden in Germany. Sounds a bit of a fudge, really, but anyway, that's what it was. From the start, the Orient carriages were very popular with royalty and aristocracy, such as Edward VII, while Prince of Wales, George V, Emperor Franz Joseph of Austria, and Ferdinand I of Bulgaria, who was a railway enthusiast who sometimes took over the controls. Other famous travellers included T.E. Lawrence, Sergei Diaghilev, who was the founder of the Ballet Russe, and dancers Nijinsky, Anna Pavlova and later Josephine Baker. Together with spies Matahari and Baden-Powell, and also writers, including, of course, Agatha Christie. In 1929, the Simplon Orient Express was snowed in for five days at a small station in Turkey. Sounds familiar? This incident inspired Agatha Christie's famous novel, Murder on the Orient Express. The real snowing in didn't involve a murder, but in 1935 there was a murder on the Orient Express, 
but nothing like as complicated. Then, world events started impinging. First of all, we have the Anschluss of Austria, causing breaking of all contracts for Austria and Czechoslovakia. And when the war actually broke out, the Orient Express and Alberg Orient were immediately suspended. The Simplon Orient continued to run until 1940, as it passed through Italy, which was at that time neutral, obviously not for long. The carriage in which the armistice was signed was taken from the museum on Hitler's orders, and the French had to sign the surrender papers at the same location as the armistice. The carriage was then taken to Berlin. However, towards the end of the war, Hitler had the carriage blown up by the SS, as he did not want the indignity of it being used again for his surrender. After the war, some services were restarted, but various borders were closed and the Iron Curtain curtailed some routes. Now, one of the first American deaths linked to the Cold War took place aboard the Orient Express. In 1950, one Eugene Simon Karp fell off the train under suspicious circumstances in a tunnel near Salzburg. He was the US naval attaché in Bucharest and was travelling with sensitive papers about spy networks in Eastern Europe. Fictional spy James Bond fought a rival spy in a carriage in Ian Fleming's From Russia With Love. Bram Stoker also set part of Dracula on board the train and they've featured in a number of other books and films. The glamorous days of the 20s and 30s were never recaptured and more people were travelling by car or in plane and the carriages grew scruffy and there were less of them. A number of variants on the Orient Express stopped running around 1962, including the original Orient Express, although trains did actually still run on that route for some years, but regular carriages and the Arberg Orient Express also stopped. Only the Simplon Orient Express remained, and this too was removed from the rails in 1977, which might have been the end of the story, but five 1920s Orient Express carriages were up for auction at Monte Carlo. They'd been used to film the first film version of Murder on the Orient Express, he managed to purchase two of these and decided to recreate the Orient Express experience for leisure travel. He'd also previously purchased the Hotel Cipriani in Venice, which was one of the original Orient Express properties. Over a period of years, he acquired various other carriages on both sides of the channel and had them expertly renovated. In the inaugural journey, some rich and famous passengers left Victoria in British Pullmans to travel to Folkestone. They then crossed the channel by ferry before rejoining refurbished carriages at Boulogne and travelling on to Venice. Since then, the routes have been changed and expanded and the channel tunnel is now used. The engines that pull the carriages are those of the country being travelled through. 
In more recent years, it's been owned and run by Belmont Limited and latterly Acor's Orient Express Group. And I went to Venice and back. The cabins are very tiny. Curved doors contain a tiny little wash basin, which was the ensuite facilities. The toilets are still at the end of the carriage and they still have their mosaic floors. There was also a bar carriage with piano player at which one can sip prohibitively expensive cocktails which had an Agatha Christie theme. Unlike the novel and the various films, we weren't aware of anyone creeping along the corridor at night with murder in mind. Now, while doing the research, after I'd offered to do this, I found that there are actually a couple more chapters in the story. Another man, Albert Glatt, was also buying up old carriages for a train a little bit later, which he called the Nostalgia Istanbul Orient Express. This ran from Zurich to Istanbul. Under the name of the Far East Express, the train made the longest journey ever taken between Paris and Tokyo. And Michael Jackson embarked on his European tour, Dangerous, on this train didn't carry on for many years and then it just seemed to disappear. No one knew where it was until Arthur Metatal was doing an inventory of Orient Express carriages all over the world and he discovered an old video of a train, I think it was on YouTube, that he thought looked like the missing train and it was just possible to make out the name of the station on the screenshot. So he used Google Maps at the aerial views and he did see some carriage roofs. There were a number of places in Poland with stations with this name, so it took a bit of searching. He thought he found it on the border between Belarus and Poland and it took a lot of doing, but he got permission to visit the site. And he realised that it really was this train, and perhaps more importantly, not in too bad a state. The interior of the car still had some original marquetry, as well as elite panels. After much negotiation, the owner gave up the train to Acor, in 2018, and the architect Maxime Dangiek took on the task of renovation, but also modernisation, such as beds rather than the very narrow bunks, and better facilities. The goal is that the cars will operate on a Paris to Istanbul route, thus starting the next chapter of the story. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A World History Group. Thank you very much for listening to this talk.